Thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. Whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Go to airbnb.com slash fool to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our dozens of listeners. Terms and conditions apply. It's Tuesday, May 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, happy to be here. So, for those who listen to Industry Focus, those folks know that Jason hosts the Monday episode about financials. There was not an episode yesterday because of the Memorial Day holiday. Yep. That's good that you're here today because this, this is going to be a finance heavy show. There's sure. A, there is a lot going on in the war on cash. We're going to get to that. We have a little bit of entertainment news to get to as well. Let's start with the merger, the deal of the day. A merger of two payment tech companies, Global Payments and Total System Services, two companies that appear to have gone out of their way to stick with really boring names. <laughs> this is an all stock deal. Tell me what you think of this one, because this is, among other things, this strikes me as a deal that's probably going to catch the eye of federal regulators, just because these are two companies that are around 20 to $23 billion a yeah. piece. This is the proverbial merger of equals, global payments uh, making the offer, and they're a company that's grown over time through acquisition. This is their biggest. Yeah, and then global payments was a company that um, I dug into a number of years ago when, if you remember, we were doing those rising stars portfolios for fool.com, and global payments was just a business that had caught my eye because of that payment space. And these are businesses that are really in the uh, you know the, the merchant solutions, merchant services, payment processing side of the business. So boring names for really what are pretty boring companies, uh, but but they do serve a, a distinct purpose. And so I mean, if you if you are a shareholder of either one of these businesses over the last five years, then you've been very happy, right? I mean, your your shares have appreciated considerably over time, and and that's all hunky dory. Now a lot has happened in five years, and the competitive landscape has changed. A decent bit, and and so I think that it makes sense, at least from the perspective of consolidation, bringing two companies that do similar things together to become bigger uh, in the face of of uh, you know a competitive landscape with companies like PayPal and Square trying to to change that that payment cycle, so to speak, that that entire transaction, it's really difficult to get a grip on how many players in, in the roles that they play, but they all do have a little spot in there. And, and I think that this uh, this merger is is you know, partly to protect that. Um, if you look at both companies top line though and, and and earnings numbers you can see they're they're running into some kind of a brick wall, both of them. And I think that's probably where the concern should be for investors today. So the acquisition or the merger makes sense. I, you know, when I look forward, I don't know that I'd put these two companies or this one combined entity up at the top of the list. But you know, I tell you, we I was at a banking and finance conference a few weeks ago. I know, super exciting, and everybody's just on the <laughs> edge of their seat waiting to understand what I took away from it. Also, everybody's jealous. <laughs> yeah. But it was interesting to see, you know, we we had a an attorney from the FDIC there speaking and it was just notable that technology was really the buzzword. I mean, that's where everybody is really focused on how technology is changing the way payments are being processed. And and so for these two companies 
that have played a little bit of a uh, they've, they've played they play a role in sort of what was. I think they're trying to turn their businesses into what will be. Um, that's what this murder ultimately, hopefully, accomplishes for them. But you know. I mean, acquisitions are not easy. They're not easy, and this is—I mean, when I say this is their biggest acquisition, this is by a factor of six or seven. This yeah. is their biggest acquisitions, uh, biggest acquisition they've made. So, all of the integration that comes with that—not just the technological integration, but also the human resource uh, integration—that's going to be, you know, for a company that came out very quickly this morning and said, "Yep, we expect this deal to close later this year." This is absolutely going to be something to watch because, to your point, I think if you own shares of either of these companies, you're you've been happy for the past few years, and I don't think there's anything about this deal that is a that screams pull the ripcord and get out now. But I think you definitely want to pay attention to does the acquisition in fact close later this year, and what if any speed bumps do they hit along the way? Because to your point. Um, they need this to go as smoothly as possible, obviously, as any company making a, an acquisition wants it to go smoothly. Um, but they have real work to, ahead of them, and it's different than the work that they've completed to this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, whenever you see acquisitions this large, and I mean, it, that really is something to. To keep an eye on, because I, I mean, I do think that regulators will let it go through. I mean, I think that just consolidation in this space is is just something that has to happen. If you remember at the beginning of the year, we saw the first data in Pfizer of news that that merger there. Um, I, I think that this is just you know another sign of just the direction where things are going. But but anytime you're in incorporating a big company into another big company. I mean there there will be the requisite cost savings that that ultimately come from it all, but it is just a lot of work on the front end to make all of this stuff happen. And we're talking about two businesses that are already facing some challenges there in regard to organic growth. I mean investors, that's when we talk about organic growth, I mean that's what we mean, right? We're talking about a business that's able to grow on its own versus a business that has to grow via acquisition. And acquisitions are fine until they're not. And when you start seeing signs that businesses are having a hard time making those acquisitions work, incorporating the 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 cultures and the business models, uh it can really impact the returns on shareholders. And I think that's what that's what we have to keep an eye on here. Back in March, Apple unveiled its new credit card with Goldman Sachs. Now comes a report that Citigroup was one of the banks involved in advanced talks with Apple for the card. Citi backed out of the talks for what sounds like a really good reason, which is basically <laughs> they weren't convinced that they were going to make money off of this card. I mean, they're not the only ones. I mean, I think that. When most of, I mean, I think most of us who, who, when Apple made this announcement, you know, I mean, unless you're like a just a total Apple fanboy, you, you kind of step back and think, okay, Apple Card, what's really the deal there? Because ultimately, I mean, if unless you're an Apple enthusiast, you don't really get the sense that Apple Card is some great idea. I mean, it's another. Decent product in a sea of alternatives, and I mean any card company can get out there and offer any type of incentive for you to carry their card, and that's what these companies do day in and day out. So, I mean, from Apple's perspective, I don't really expect 
much from this at all. Now, from Goldman's perspective, I do think this makes a lot of sense. And part of that is because Goldman is trying to make that pivot over towards more of a personal finance side of the business, right? I mean, I think traditionally they've been very institutionally oriented, and they're trying to change that. And one of the signs of that is the Goldman Sachs Marcus that they've introduced. And for those who aren't familiar with Marcus, Marcus is something that focuses more on the consumer side of finance and debt solutions. And and you know we interestingly enough we had a an interview with some folks from Goldman Sachs on April 29th's episode of Industry Focus, so you could listen to that and get a better idea of what Marcus is all about and what their plans are. So I mean I understand from Goldman's perspective wanting to do this. I I I don't think this is much if anything that impacts Apple's business really whatsoever. I mean Apple Pay is not a very profitable driver today. I mean it. Brings in a little bit of money, I guess, but I mean that's a little bit nebulous because they don't really break out that stuff. For Goldman, I think it's one step in in a bigger move towards focusing more on personal finance, becoming a little bit more relatable to the consumer. Apple has all the money in the world on their balance sheet. They do. They're fine. Goldman Sachs has never had trouble really making money. They have not. Do you think that the approach that these two companies are taking with this is in large part a super long play. In the case of Apple, it's we can afford to lose money because we're Apple, and also somewhere down the line, and by that I mean 10 to 20 years down the line, we'll be able to make this much more profitable than it is right now. And in the case of Goldman Sachs, obviously, to your point, they're looking to get more into personal finance. So they've got other ways of making money. They don't need to, they weren't clearly. They were not scared off in the way that Citigroup was in terms of we don't think we might actually lose money on this deal. But if their approach is we're taking a super long play into personal finance, then they can afford it. Yeah, I think for Goldman Sachs, it's clearly just a matter of strategy, and I think that they have this long-term vision of becoming more relatable to the consumer and playing a bigger role on the personal finance side of the equation, and so this. For them is a you know what we like to say a little bet <laughs> on something that could could pay off down the road in one way or another. I mean I don't think it necessarily pays off in the form of um, a, a robust Apple credit card business. I mean I think Apple Card probably does okay for the people who are big Apple enthusiasts, but. I mean, again, you live in this world. I mean, just the race is kind of to the bottom when it comes to these cards. I mean, it's about bringing these costs down and offering people incentives, which plays out on the business that's offering all of those incentives. And so you're right, Apple can really they they can pay for those incentives incentives because they have all the money in the world. And for Goldman Sachs, it's it's really not a material bet cost wise. I don't think it's one where they're looking to make money as much as they're just looking to build some credibility, some trust in the eyes of the consumer, so that as they grow out this Marcus offering, it's it's one more notch in the belt. Well, if you're not excited about the Apple credit card, I know you're going to be excited about this. <laughs> Facebook is finalizing plans to launch its own cryptocurrency. We can expect more details from Facebook later this summer in advance of the testing that they plan to do this fall. What in God's name is this? <laughs> so, I think that's the fairest question because it is a little bit Unclear as to what ultimately they're trying to do. I mean, I you know I think some people are asking, is this a Facebook 
cryptocurrency like a Bitcoin style offering, or are they trying to build some digital payments network that competes with the likes of PayPal and Square and whatnot? I mean, as it stands, I mean, from what it looks like at least, I mean, they're trying to build their own digital coin. Facebook coin or global coin, whatever they're calling it, um, that ultimately gives the unbanked and underbanked consumer choice or options. Now, I mean, to be very clear, that is a very relevant market opportunity. The underbanked and unbanked consumer, I mean, there's 65 million or so adults here in the United States alone that would be considered unbanked or underbanked. And and those that there's a tremendous opportunity out there to help those folks in providing services that are low to no cost in in helping them manage their money in the face of a what what is becoming a cashless society more or less. Uh, now, the thing is, Facebook's not the only company, obviously, trying to do this. I mean, you've got Square and PayPal and Stripe, and you've got uh, MasterCard and Visa offering solutions as well. So, if you put all of those companies in a room, right, along with Facebook, and then you say, okay, one of these is not like the other. <laughs> now, one of them clearly stands out, uh, and that's Facebook, right? Facebook's not the one that's that's been pursuing this this uh, market opportunity as the others have. Um, so I again I mean it's not the first time they've tried something like this. I mean they did try a Facebook coin or something digital offering a number of years back that ultimately didn't get any traction. Uh we've seen bigger you know players like Amazon try to do the same thing. I mean I, you have to give a real robust incentive for someone to want to convert their hard-earned dollars into a digital currency and I don't know that Facebook necessarily has the I don't know that they have the trust, honestly, of the consumer that 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 would make this happen in the long run. I don't I don't understand why anybody would say, yeah, I'm happy to convert my dollars over to Facebook Coin so that I can. I don't know what else special you can do with that. Well, and if you think back two to three years before the trust issues with Facebook really came to the forefront, before the Cambridge Analytica report, all of that stuff. You go back two, three years, Facebook was talking about getting into banking, getting into some type of financial service. Maybe not obviously becoming a traditional bank, but they were absolutely talking about that. And you can almost draw a straight line from those conversations to the trust issues to someone at Facebook, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg or one of his lieutenants, saying, okay, we're not. Going to be able to go with our original plan, but let's figure something else out. And here we are at a Facebook cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I mean, it's just it's one of those things where I mean, you look at all of the different ways this could play out. I mean, from the consumer side, if you are someone in the United States who's looking to pay a friend of yours overseas or or send money to a family member in in a you know an overseas location. I mean, there are businesses that have been built um, to do specifically that. I mean, we talk about Zoom before it was acquired by PayPal. I mean, that's what Zoom uh, the, the the remittance company does. And I mean the entire business was built for that. We saw the challenges involved with building out that kind of a business. So it's not like Facebook can just hit a switch and then be able to do that overnight. Um, I mean, I, I I could see where perhaps they could offer incentive for advertising customers 
to have some sort of a, of, of a currency that's that's exchanged there where they get some incentive to pay in a digital offering as they pay for their advertisements. Perhaps you know they're looking for that data that shows what people are spending their money on and where so that they can then ultimately serve up more relevant advertisements. I mean, I don't know this is ultimately something that is meant to be a big driver of revenue for the business because as I said before, I mean, this generally speaking is kind of a race to whittle down the costs of moving money around. Um, and I mean, it's it's worth noting. I mean, I, we we talked about this a while back, and I mean, I just I, I asked some folks on Twitter. I put a poll out there just to get a a general idea. Have was there a strong feeling one way or the other? And I asked if would you migrate your payments behavior over to a Facebook Pay platform if it was an option. Three thousand plus votes. Ninety five percent said no way. Now, I'm not saying that means they can't do it, but what I'm saying is there is there is a problem here that they're going to have to overcome beyond the technical and the regulatory issues that come with moving money around the world. And and it's one of trust. I don't know that Facebook necessarily has the identity or the trust of the consumer to really be able to make meaningful inroads in this side of the business. When it comes to crypto, I mean, I'm not the biggest crypto guy in the world. I kind of wonder what would make a Facebook crypto better than Bitcoin. I don't know what Facebook thinks they have that means they could do this better. I don't know that necessarily the biggest network wins here because we're not talking about like the whole world isn't trading crypto. I mean, it's a very, very small cross section of the population that's actually trading that stuff. So, just there are a lot of hurdles. It's not to say they can't make some sort of progress there. I just tend to feel like if they wanted to get in the payment space in some way, shape, or form, it would be way easier for them to partner up. With companies that already do it really well and have the trust of the consumer. Quick shout out to Airbnb. If you're looking for some extra income, then hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. And that's because it's free to list your home. And Airbnb offers a $1 million host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. So you host when you want, how you want. It is all up to you. We talk on this show about generating income with stocks. How about generating a little extra income with your place? You can use that income to pay bills, save up for retirement. You can use it to fund travel. You can make money while you're traveling. That's something that Airbnb hosts often do. And Airbnb helps keep you protected. They've got a support team that's available 24-7 to help you with any issues, whether it's refunds, rebooking assistance, or their $1 million host guarantee. So, go to airbnb.com slash fool to start hosting, and you'll receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by July 31st. That's airbnb.com slash fool to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our dozens of listeners. Terms and conditions apply. Somewhat to my surprise, Aladdin was number one at the box office over the weekend. Very much to my surprise, and I cannot believe I'm the only one who's surprised by this, it was overwhelmingly number one at the box office to the tune of $112 million domestically. And part of that is because we had Nell Minow on Motley Fool Money last weekend, and I asked her a bunch of questions about the summer movie season. And one of those questions was, what's a movie to skip? A couple of years ago, I asked her that, and she said, you can skip The Mummy with Tom Cruise. (laughs) And I and many, many, many other people did skip The Mummy with Tom Cruise. And 
this year she said, "Yeah, it's Aladdin. It's it's just it's not going to be that good." And people don't care. People don't care. That's the thing. We were talking this morning about the Rotten Tomatoes score. You look at the critics, the critic score is I think 54 <laughs> or 56, something like that. The audience score is 94. Isn't isn't that always the the way though? I mean, like I the 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 professional critic goes in with a you know, a, a framework, right? They go in with boxes that need to be checked. The consumer, the the Everyday Joe Schmo like you and me, we go in just looking to be entertained. And if we walk away with a smile on our face, I mean, I'm not really going to care about the segue from Act One and Act Two, right? It's just a matter of did the movie make me smile? I mean, listen, I'm okay. I'm going to get a little bit graphic here. I mean, it's not going to have to get the bleep button out or anything. But this, you know, it strikes me that we're at a point with Disney where we were with Apple a number of years ago. And ultimately with Apple, I said it's some you know they could take a dump in a box, stamp it I turd and sell like 5 million of them, no question. They wouldn't even have to say anything. They just because people will they'll buy it. It's Apple, it doesn't matter. I feel like Disney's at that point. They can pretty much make any movie they want, stick it out there and it's going to make like 500 million dollars at least. Um, you know, if if not a billion, it just doesn't seem like it matters anymore, and it's because they have this ability to tell a story. And and you made the point a while back too that beyond that and the IP, they have this ability to attract the greatest talent on the directorial and the production side, and that really is, I think, a big difference. It is, although a couple of caveats to that. Um, one is that just from a Profit and loss standpoint. If you're a Disney shareholder, and I, I am. I think you are. As My well. kids are. Your kids are. I am okay. not, yeah. um, the movie still is not profitable, even with this great. You know, it, it sure. needs it needs to make more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's still not quite profitable. Um, the other thing is, uh, and this is, I say this, having interviewed Nell Minow for a decade now. Nell. Um, has a little bit of a soft spot for Disney. Yeah. And when Nell gives a movie review, I usually discount it like a half grade. So if she says a movie is an A plus, I think to myself, okay, it's, it, for me, it's probably an A minus. So the fact that she said the movie, to, <laughs> like I was factoring all that in. So I thought, wow, if she thinks Aladdin is not really one to spend your hard earned dollars on going to the theater for, then. There are going to be some critics out there who are ripping this thing, but I think I think to your point, uh, uh, most people are are pretty binary when it comes to movies. It's like, am I entertained? Am I not entertained? Yeah. Um, and I think the difference between something like this and something like John Carter is that this is more of a known entity. And it's got Will Smith. I mean, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, I actually mean that my like my daughters. They really want to go see Aladdin, and one of the big reasons is because Will Smith. I mean, they just they think probably, he's funny. And they he, probably know the music as right. well. They know the music. They know the story. It's Disney. They love that stuff. And I, and I think they're at that age where, you know, the animation perhaps isn't really what they're looking to go see at the movies these days. Sometimes it works out, but I think this move into the real life adventure uh, is is working out. I mean, it's probably better for some stories than others. Like Cinderella, I thought it worked out really well. Um, I haven't seen Aladdin. I suspect I will at some point. <laughs> and I'll give you some feedback there. The one I actually have been really taken by that I want to see and will see is Dumbo. I never really cared for the animated 
you know movie, but man, the Tim Burton real life version really seems cool. Like from from every angle, I, I definitely want to see that one. Well, and to bring it back to the stock, I mean that. <laughs> This was going into this weekend as a shareholder. I thought, all right, this is this is going to be a speed bump, but that's okay because we've got Toy Story four coming, and we've got another Star Wars movie and Frozen two, and it's it's like, wow, if if this is going to turn out to be profitable, then yep. this, this this is really shaping up to be a great year for the studio side of the Walt Disney Company and setting twenty twenty up to be a really tough comp. And we're going to see how well they are able to monetize this stuff beyond just the cinemas. I mean, it's they're going to push this stuff into homes. I mean, they already push it through parks. I mean, it's just that same old thing we talk about with Disney. They do such a good job of just perpetuating this monetization of these properties. It just it it seems like it never ends because it in fact never ends. And when you and I are older and grayer than we already are and and hopefully we're grandparents and and maybe we're Hey, maybe I get you out. We play around to golf, and we're having a drink after, and we're talking about this and thinking, you remember like 20 years ago? And it's just been more of the same. That's my bet to you. Is I think in 20 years it will just be more of the same. I'm in for all of that, except for the actual golf. Well, you can drive the cart. I'll drive that? the cart. Perfect. There you go, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.